Hear the word of God from John chapter 17. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. John 17, one through five. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. (laughs) Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. When my wife and I moved overseas, there was a period of time when I had the opportunity to do some traveling. And I was... um, asked to go to a country that's called Western Sahara. And right now, you can look that up. It may come up as a country, it may not, but it's a UN-occupied territory in the middle of the the Sahara Desert called Western Sahara. And so as my supervisor and I were flying into Western Sahara, we were flanked on both sides by two fighter jets that were escorting our plane to the ground. And we arrived on the ground, there are tanks Um, embattlements, soldiers everywhere. Every single corner of this city in Western Sahara had soldiers standing guard. There were white UN land cruisers at every intersection and you did not move through this airport quickly at all. So it took us hours to get processed to enter into Western Sahara. And so eventually we got there and um, we were able to just kind of process what God was doing and meet with people and what was going on in Western Sahara. And in the midst of all that, we had to go and drive through the desert to get to certain places. And so um, someone picked us up in a Land Rover and took us out into the Sahara Desert. And I want you to see what the Sahara Desert looks like. Okay, now it's a pretty dry and desolate place. It's scorched, it's very hot, extremely hot, extremely dry. And I remember standing there and just thinking, wow, how can anything or anybody possibly survive in this place, much less a city being developed in this place? How do they even have water to drink? It is just dry. And so, I tell you that because I want to tell you this morning a story about some times that I've gone through in my own life that I would call dry seasons or times in the desert. We've been there. If we're honest this morning, we will all say that we've been through some desert times. And the thing is, is that the key to getting through those times is our faith and our walk with Jesus. Yet, I know my own heart that even though I know the solution to those dry times, I often just turn absolutely the other way. I try to find my own solutions. I try to develop my own habits. I try to work through 
processes and problems and issues all on my own strength. When I know the source of life, I choose desert instead. And so in my life, I have had in my past, I have had seasons of spiritual disciplines. I have walked through times where I had a close relationship, what I would call a close relationship with God. But I've also been through, and even as of recent days and years in the past, even while I've been a pastor at Waypoint Church, walked through dry seasons. We do. We find these things when trials come. And trials have come in our family. And we've walked through those. When suffering comes, when health issues, or when someone else is struggling, and as a pastor, you walk through that struggle with them, you're alongside of them, and you carry some of that burden. All of this can sometimes, and oftentimes it does in Christian life, lead to desert dwelling. When I go back and look at old journals, and actually this morning, I'm preaching out of an old Bible. This is my Bible that I used in college uh, that I found recently. And when I look through it and look at the notes, I think, and I look at those journals, I think, who wrote that? Like that person knew Jesus and had an exuberant and vibrant walk with Christ. And then I turn and I see my name on the front of the Bible. And I'm like, what? And I don't want to look at my life of walking with Christ as something that's nostalgic. You know, I like old stuff. I like leather things that have been handcrafted and made well. I just really love that kind of stuff, like bags and wallets and shoes and those kinds of really cool. If someone would actually, maybe in the high-end cars like Lamborghinis or something, there's like leather seats in them that are like a pair of leather boots, like I would want that car. I would want to just sit in that seat and just let it mold to me and just get that like hue to it that leather gets when it's used you know, like old leather journals and just that smell, right? You know what I'm talking about, that good leather smell. And I think that something had to die in order to get to that place. Something went through a pretty hard day in order for my Bible to smell good, right? So I also like old stuff. I still listen to vinyl records, okay? My recent one was my birthday just a couple weeks ago. My mom got me a Bing Crosby original vinyl. Not a reprint, not some of this stuff that you can find on Amazon. I'm talking an original. It, still, it has like oil along the edge where people's hands back in the 60s, 50s, 40s have touched it, right? This stuff is awesome. And it's nostalgic and it's vintage, right? But that's not how I want my daily walk with Christ to be. I want vibrancy. I want to grow. I don't want my spirituality to be a relic, 
or something museum-worthy that's dry and cracked. I remember recently reading a side column in this Bible and, and just seeing that things that I wrote back in the day when I was young were so instructive to even today. And I thought, okay, there are, there are these aspects of walking with Christ where you really are in peaks and valleys. You really do walk through lots of times. Um, so several birthdays and generations of children and Lyme's disease as we walk through that as a family. I've had days that have had gray hues to them. And maybe right now you're sitting here and you can relate to this in a way. Maybe you've, you've walked through that. Maybe you're currently walking through that. And you've had a similar or are having a similar experience. My problem was that I had made my time with God, this supposed intimate time, this relationship, I had made it extremely academic. Seminary taught me a lot, taught me Hebrew and Greek and how to exegetically and hermeneutically dissect a piece of sacred script, then pontificate from a stage for hours as you listen and indulge yourselves. But what I really needed was to be taught how to relate to God. And those things are good. And I don't want to, to throw seminary under the proverbial bus at all, because it was great. But maybe you know what I mean. But maybe oftentimes we get to the place where our spiritual vitality really re revolves around more of academic type pursuits, or that's what it was for me. Books and commentaries and maybe even just reading the Bible, which is a great thing and a very important spiritual discipline, but it would be just that. I would read and I would be done. And this pursuit, though maintaining what I would call a quiet time, began to grow stale began to grow to a place where it was either routine or, like I've used the word, academic, heady, just, it was dry. And so, some of your parents, many of you have babies in the home. I have this question a lot as a pastor. How do you have a baby and a quiet time? Um, where did my quiet time go when I had a baby? And I meant the prayer part, not the other quiet time. I love my kids. They're here today. Welcome. So, what I'm seeing in John as we walk through this gospel together as a church family is I'm seeing these relationships and these encounters with Jesus. And hopefully you're reading the blog, which is coming out on Realm from time to time, where people in our church are sharing their experiences and their walks with Christ. And I'm seeing these things. I'm seeing Jesus, and as Ashley shared this morning even, that Jesus impacts lives. 
through relationship, through relating to Him, lives impacted, lives changed, lives that are not the same, lives that if we see the Sahara Desert again, sometimes things do bloom in the desert. Look at that. And so in the midst of this, we get into John chapter 17 today, as Rebecca read. And if you have your Bibles or your app open to John 17 and just look at this, Jesus is praying. We get a glimpse into the intimacy of Jesus' prayer life. Wow. This is a great treat for us as the church. We get to listen to and see Jesus praying. You can't read this section of John 17, or on, and I'm only doing the first five verses. Pastor Eric will be talking about the rest of this next week. But in the first five verses, the word glory is like my vinyl record. It's on repeat. It's just rolling through glory, 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 talking about glory. It's glory and in another phrase, eternal life. They're on repeat here. Glory, eternal life, glory, eternity or eternal life, depending on the version you're reading. So Jesus is praying for glory and eternal life to be concepts that we get, understand from time that is spent with him. In John chapter one, verse 14, you can look at this. It says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. The word became flesh and we've seen his glory. When you Google the word glory, the first thing that pops up is the 1989 movie with Denzel Washington. The second thing you see is a definition from a dictionary. I thought that was just a trip to me, like, all right. This is really interesting about our culture that glory is first a movie, then we're going to define it. All right. But when you Google it and you actually look at the dictionary, it says two things. One, glory means high renown or honor won by notable achievements or secondly, magnificence or great beauty. These are what the dictionaries say about glory. Now, UNC lost its glory this week, and it was devastating, and Danny just wants to gloat. <laughs> Moving on. So I started kind of thinking about this word glory, because I think if I just walk up to you and say, what does it mean to be, what does the Bible mean when it says glory? What does it mean for Jesus to glorify the Father? I honestly don't know that I could have even answered that question. Because we use the, these words in Christian and church talk a lot, and then we don't know what they mean. And especially people outside of that don't know what they, that we mean. In NCAA season, glory means something else. But I don't even know if sometimes we know how, what that even means. I thought about naming this sermon Glory Road when it was too late. The graphic guy had already gotten hold of it and I couldn't change it anymore. But what is glory? So I started digging a little bit. And John really references Moses a lot. It goes back to the Old Testament Moses like constantly. All these parallels. So I thought, I want to see what Moses in Exodus is talking about glory. 
So I, I hope that you don't mind flipping with me and let's just look at Exodus for a little bit. Because in Exodus chapter 33, really in Exodus chapters 32 through 34 is kind of the context behind this. But in Exodus chapter 33, Moses wants to see God's glory. And I'm like, okay, great. This is going to be key insight to what we're trying to get to here. So in Exodus, God reminds Moses, and look at this, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. All right, so Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, you cannot see my face, because you'll die. So in, this, in the context of this, this isn't a desperate plea when Israel is at an all-time low of horrific rebellion and sin, and Moses is begging to see God. Maybe he wanted to die. I don't know. Maybe he wanted out of there. But this is interesting. Look at chapter 33, verse 19. Moses asks him, can I see your glory? And look what Jesus says or God says in Exodus 33, 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will, pro I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, that name for God that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush. I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. Moses asks for glory. God promises him goodness. Isn't that amazing? Now let's, let's look um, back at John. Because in John chapter 12, Jesus is going to visit this idea of glory. And he says this, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And that hour means he's going to die. This is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. A few verses later, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. In other words, the place where God's glory is most seen is in the death, resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. Let me say that again. The place where God's glory is most seen is in the goodness, should I say, of the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. The cross is where God's glory is on display. It's a huge billboard for us to look at to say that God's goodness is displayed here. God has indeed caused all of his goodness to pass before us by putting Jesus on the billboard display of the cross. And this is the flower that blooms in the Sahara Desert of our lives. In John 17, Jesus is praying for God the Father to be glorified in his death so that Jesus, and I'm going to put this quote up here. This is from my notes. Jesus is praying for God the Father to be glorified in his death so that Jesus may give us the free gift of the benefit of this glory displayed. There's a lot of meat in that sentence. Jesus is saying, Father, kill me. Kill me 
so that your name will be lifted up or glorified so that I can give these people who you have given me a gift. And that gift is eternal life. And so these two words, glory and eternity, which are cycling through these first five verses of John 17, it's showing us that this gift is a beautiful garden springing to life. Look what happens in the Sahara when it rains. A beautiful garden springing to life in our lives and our walk with Jesus. Eternal life, knowing God forever. And it all starts now. Can we get that? Can we live like that? When I was asked to speak at Caitlin Lorenzen's funeral, and in preparation for that, I read C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed. He points out that we start living now when we put our faith in Jesus. That eternal life starts at that point. And let me tell you something. All of humanity will live for eternity. We will either live walking in eternal life with Jesus or people will die walking eternal death condemned to hell. Because hell is a real place. And heaven is a real place. And our mission as the church is to let people know about Jesus so that they can begin to walk in eternal life. John Owen, an old English Puritan pastor, said this, that the death of death took place in the death of Christ. That Christ kills death for us by being on the cross. So what I want to live, what I want to do now is live as it is eternity. To give Jesus the glory he's due. I want to walk this earth living life as if it is eternal as it is. It truly is. It's been given to me as a free gift. And so some key principles, three key principles for walking that eternal life in this order. First of all, know the character of God. Because when we know God and we know his loving, caring, personal desire to know us, who He truly is in His character. That's when we know Him. How do we do that? We have to look at the Bible. We have to watch for these key moments where God reveals something about His character to us. And I, I know that some people don't like to write in their Bibles. I get that. So go buy a paperback Bible at Walmart and get out your pen and your, your highlighter and go crazy underlining and highlighting the promises, the character traits, the, the names of God. Know God. Because when we see that, we see his character. Went back in Exodus, actually, this is really cool too, in that same section, so 33, Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. In 34, God says this. He says something to him. Came down, he comes down in a cloud and he stands there and he proclaims this to Moses. The, the Lord, but he uses the word Yahweh. He uses his personal name. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Man, we should just highlight the heck out of that passage and just read it in those moments when we're dry. Read it when we feel like there's nothing left for us and we're walking back like the prodigal son down a dirt road and we see our father with his arms open wide and we can go to him. He runs to us. Why does the father run in that story? He runs because he loves us. And we know this because we read the Bible and we learn the character of God. That's number one. Number two, this phrase that we use sometimes in Reformed Christian circles that says, preach the gospel to yourself daily. It's another one of those Christianese type language. Like only Christians know this, but then we really don't know it because like we say stuff like that and then we don't even know what we're talking about sometimes because I do it constantly. So what does it mean to preach the gospel to myself daily? Well, based upon the foundation of knowing the character of God, I then rehearse the gospel daily. Yes, I will fail. Yes, I will be in a dry season even as your pastor. Yes, I will walk into valleys. But I know this. I'm a child of God. Why do I know that? Because the gospel says that even in my sin and my rebellion, even in my dark days, that Jesus came. God came. He put on flesh. His name is Jesus. And he lived the perfect life that I could never live on my behalf. Don't forget that. I cannot fulfill the law, but Jesus fulfilled it for me. He lived the perfect life that I cannot live. I can't. I can't live in that standard. But He does it for me. And then He died the death that I should have died. By dying on the cross, He took my place there. I should have died for my rebellion against God. But I didn't because Jesus stood in my place. In my place, He was condemned. And I, I stand here before you. I'm not condemned any longer for my sin. And so I can walk freely in that. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He took away the sting of death so that we live as if it is eternity, as it is now. And so this is awesome news for us. That's what gospel means. Good news. So what does it mean to preach good news to me daily? To tell myself every day I'm loved. I'm loved more than I can fathom because Jesus died for me. So I know the character of God and I tell myself the good news of Jesus every day. And number three, I relate to God personally. I relate to God personally. Now this is where I get all hung up because my relationship with God has for a really long time been very academic. And it put me in a slump. And so in recent past, what year is it now? It's 2019. In 2018, I made it a goal to truly get to know God on a personal 
level. Now, I, I knew God, and I know God, and I've had great, intimate times with God. But I was walking for quite a while in the sand of the desert, and I needed something to refresh me. And so, what happened to my spiritual disciplines? Yeah, they faded. For me, it's academics. For you, maybe it's something else. Distraction, sin, guilt, shame. Whatever it is that's a wall that we build that blocks this out. I was parched in the desert. And in the Psalms, you can see this. You can see the Psalms get really real about this. And some of us are in this now. Some of you are walking through this now. Some of you have been there. We all will. We all will go through those times. And it does not mean we're forsaken. That's really what I want to say. Is when we find ourselves there, we can look to Jesus and know the character of God, the good news of His life, death, resurrection, and His ascension to glory, and know that we can relate within that personally. And so, how do we start living now as it is eternity? We, f we look at those things, we know our God, and we walk in that. We know that the sting of death is gone. We know that God loves us no matter what. And we remind ourselves, and I have now gotten to this place where I can walk in that blooming desert and know the character of God telling myself the gospel is a reality and relating to God on this personal level that's been amazing to sit at His feet and, and just learn about Him and know about His love and know about His care. Knowing God personally, I mean really personally, it, it prepares us to walk through those blooming moments with God so that we can live as we were truly made to live, as those who are built by God to live for eternity. It's amazing. And I praise God for it. And I praise God that all of that was found within a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. So as you think about that, as I close with that, in the midst of these times, and that's my personal story, and you know yours, in the midst of learning more about who God is and His character and how Jesus loves me, I learned this for this moment in a prayer of Jesus. Because Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for the church. Just this week, I was driving along, very busy week, a lot of crazy stuff going on, and I was trying to prepare for this moment. And I said, Jesus, pray for me. I need it. You ever ask Jesus to pray for you? It's pretty amazing, because he does. He stands in heaven on our behalf. So let's go to him now in prayer.